this morning, we're looking again at prayer for the third, for the third time in uh, this mini-series that Pastor Peter has been preaching in the midst of the major Sermon on the Mount series. And I, I asked him, usually he doesn't say anything if he's not here. He's in the building, but he didn't want to at least, you know. So I teased him, but he said he's been greeting you, so you've maybe seen him outside. Um, and as we open this morning with the second part of the Lord's Prayer, I want to remind you, um, as much as the prayer is, uh, as much as our work together is about how to pray, it's worth remembering what we're doing. It's worth remembering uh, that we get to pray. Um, I read somebody uh, the other week, I think it was Howard Thurman, who talked about how readying for prayer, preparing for prayer, is praying. And, and as, as you ready uh, to pray and as you're ready to listen to the second part of this model of prayer, uh, I want you just to think for a moment with me about how astonishing it is that we get to do this. When we pray, what we're, what we're experiencing is, a, is, a, is an invitation into God's community. When we pray, we are given an invitation to enter into God's community into God's personality, into God's community, and into God's personality. When we pray, we're given an opportunity, an invitation to enter into what's going on in God And in God's person. When we pray, we are certainly pulling elements and saying things, right? And, and, and offering intercessions and, and lifting phrases. And, and, and that's how we pray. But it's worth sitting with in a readying fashion that we actually get to open ourselves up to God, experiencing more about God and more about us. 
when we pray, we enter into, by God's invitation, what conversation, what communion, what community is happening within God. We get to step into a conversation that God is having with God's own personality, with God's own person, with God's own constitution. We step into it and it almost doesn't matter how well we say what we say because of where we are when we pray. Do you appreciate this morning that, that, that the words are important, the posture is important, but being in prayer is being in a conversation, a community, a surrounding, an environment where God is talking about God. So when Jesus places a sermon in the midst of his largest series of sermons, when he places a sermon on prayer, he is placing a stone in the midst of his teaching to remind us that all of the teaching hinges on what is happening in God's own communion. So that the way we live out that communion is important. The way we engage in relationships, whether we forgive, whether we are compassionate, whether we are merciful, all starts and ends with what is happening in prayer. Prayer then is as much about peeking in to God's community. Prayer is as much then about bending your ear to what God is saying in God's own personality. Prayer is as much about standing or sitting or bowing or waiting in the space where God's person is. It is as much about those things as it is about what Jesus offers us in a model in Matthew chapter 6. That is why it's important, as Pastor Peter has been talking about, to linger. Say the word linger. You didn't say it. You said it too quiet. Say, say linger. It is as important to linger over these words, uh, to savor these phrases, to sit with these, these meanings, these images, 
and to not rush through them because prayer is as much about being in the presence of God's conversation as it is about you participating in that conversation with words of your own. I want that to, I want that to make sense for you this morning. Because if it doesn't make sense, you'll look for the model, you'll look for the recipe, you'll look for the formula, and you'll miss prayer. When you pray, you're not just saying. You might just be sitting. When you pray, you might be pausing between those phrases and not just running through them. There are movements in Matthew 6 that Pastor Peter has been talking through. Um, But before we get to those movements, let me make, and that was just sort of my first introduction. My second introduction, uh, a couple of observations. I don't know, Val, if you got them. Um, But a couple of uh, brief observations this morning. Um, before we get into the text of Matthew 6. One is that prayer is a way of living in the world while living in relationship to God. You may be hearing this hinted at in my first comment. Prayer is not just a, 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 a way of speaking to God. Prayer is not just a list of ways, appropriate ways, that we engage in conversation with God. Prayer is not just uh, looking at God's will and wrestling with it, with what we feel and what we say. It is these things. But prayer is a way of living in the world while at the same time living in relationship with God. It, th- that, that's why the word prayerfulness is important for us to use from time to time because prayer has a way of capturing our lives. It is true that in some ways you cannot divorce prayer from living. When you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, when you're a follower of Jesus, a Christian if you will, you cannot pray one way and live another way. You, you, you haven't yet begun to pray. Or you haven't yet begun to live. And so most of our spiritual lives as Christians, as wannabe Christians, as spiritual people or religious folk, most of our spiritual lives is about readying to pray. We haven't prayed yet, mostly. 
Because there's no separation between what you say in God's conversation, God's person, God's community, and how you live. You're not in God's conversation on, on, in one moment and in the world in another. You're sitting on a pew right now. You're in this world. And at the same time, you're living into or out of a relationship with God. Number two, when we come to Matthew chapter 6, we have to remember that this prayer, this Christian's prayer, this disciple's prayer, this Lord's prayer is not just your prayer. This prayer is our prayer. You, like me, probably were raised learning how to pray first using prayers like this, right? So, so you believed, you lived into the truth that this was your prayer. And eventually, this prayer that was yours, you treated like everything else that was yours. You dispensed with it when it became useless, right? I mean, you have things and then it's sort of, I don't need that anymore because I have better ways to pray or I know how to do this differently, right? So your things, you treat the way you treat your things. But this prayer, this is a kind of corrective for some of you this morning. Some of you are already aware of this, that when Jesus talks to his disciples in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he's talking to who? His disciples, When Jesus talks to them in Matthew 6 about prayer, you is not an individual you. It is a corporate you. This is our prayer. That's what makes Christianity so bold and so problematic, right? Because we pray this. How can you pray that he is our father? That is somewhat exclusive, isn't it? Or how can you pray to do the silliest thing in the world, like forgive your enemies? How do you do? This is our way of praying. Jesus says, this is how you pray. Number three, each phrase in the prayer is a part of what Evelyn Underhill calls the whole world of prayer, which goes back to the point about lingering and sitting and savoring. We can pray entirely in any one of these phrases. Christian prayers. Maybe we'll get to do more of that today, but but we don't have to rush through each phrase and feel like only when I get to the last part have I actually prayed. It is true that you cannot snatch a word out of Jesus' prayer here. You cannot take a phrase out of Jesus' prayer here and not be praying entirely the whole world of prayer. That means for some of us who struggle with prayer, right? Who struggle knowing that we're praying. Who struggle learning how to do it well. Who struggle because we hear the way other people pray. It means for us that all of it is in Matthew chapter 6 verses 9 through 13. All of it is here. And if you want to pray in ways that are consistent with the kingdom that Jesus comes to preach, you can pray this and this only because it's all here. Finally, this prayer expands what Jesus, uh, this, this prayer outlines rather what Jesus later expands. Now, I'll go through uh, a couple of movements here. And Pastor Peter has offered a kind of structure that, um, that I'll sit with. The first part of that prayer being to, to center ourselves, right? To center ourselves and to submit to God's Lord, to, rather to center ourselves in praise and adoration. So, so that is the first real movement in this prayer, to center ourselves on God and to praise God. The second has to do with submitting to God's royal lordship. And the third 
a part of this sermon series has been to then begin asking. So, so I'm going to talk about the asking part. And when I talk about it, I'm going to talk about it the way Jesus presents it in a very narrow way. But Jesus expands this way. This is not the only way we see Jesus praying or telling his disciples to pray. It is the way he says to pray when they ask him this question. And it is therefore our way of praying, but Jesus does in the rest of his ministry expand on what we see in the Lord's Prayer. So you can certainly choose this prayer, stay with it, and be faithful to Christ, and be faithful to what it means to pray, or you can look throughout the Gospels and see Jesus praying, and when he prays, he does not necessarily always talk about daily bread. He does not always talk about forgiveness of sins and those who have sinned against him. He does not always talk about fleeing temptation or asking for God's deliverance, etc. These are the ways Matthew 6 talks about prayer. But he expands later on in his ministry. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6. Starting with verse 9, this ancient way of praying, and to remember it again. Uh, over the next few moments. Matthew nine, uh, 6, 9 through 13. It says, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread And forgive us our debts as we have also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Can you lend your voice and read this prayer? Let's do this together. Let's pray this together. This is the English Standard Version, which is actually very close to the version, the real version, the right version, the King James Version. That's the real version. Uh, y'all didn't know Jesus. Jesus spoke from the King James Version, <laughs> uh, even though it came in the 17th century. It is, <laughs> uh, uh, but let us pray together. If you pray fast, you need to slow down. I already, ta- I already covered that, right? So don't read this too fast. Come on, pray then like this: Our Father. Come on. One more time. Pray then like this. Now, you'll, you'll see uh, two types of things being said here. You'll see this part where it has to do with God. And this, this is the part where we center, our, center ourselves in praise and adoration, where we submit to God's royal lordship. In the first part of this prayer, uh, folks talk about how this is, and this is a split that I wouldn't, 
I wouldn't exactly endorse this way, literally, but, but it helps to talk about it as if, oh, not that yet. Stay with the text, Val. Thanks. Uh, the first part of this prayer, the first couple of verses, has to do with that which is Godward, that which is heavenly, that which is uh, extraterrestrial, if I can put it in those terms. So we talk about God. We talk about heaven. We hallow God's name. We invoke God's kingdom, God's will, that it would be done here as it is done in heaven. And the second part of this prayer is the more sort of physical, the more terrestrial, the more sort of I can see it, touch it, taste it kind of part of the prayer. So there is this Godward part of the prayer. And at the same time, Jesus is not allowing us to pray and to talk only about God's matters without talking about our matters as if God's matters are more important than our matters. He does not allow us to see an experience of prayer without having both. He does not allow us to get away from this sermonic teaching without saying at the same time, you cannot talk just about God without talking about you. Because true prayer only happens when you learn, experience, see God differently, and when you learn and experience and see you differently. So prayer is authentic, it is honest, it is open, it is vulnerable, it is transparent because God is being vulnerable and open and transparent. God is being real and raw and true and we are being real, honest, vulnerable, transparent, true. The way Jesus does this in the second part of the prayer is by naming three requests that he says his disciples ought to pray for. And what I'm going to do is take each request, talk about what they meant, and I won't do that all day, so there's more to be said. There's a whole lot to be said that I will not say. But I'm going to talk a little bit about what these phrases or these requests meant for uh, Jesus' first disciples, what they may mean for us as his disciples these days. So the first request here, uh, when Jesus uh, uh, says, when you pray, he says to ask God for daily bread. Ask God for daily bread. Jesus' audience, according to Mark 6, Mark 12, his audience is what scholars have called uh, the people of the land, the common people, the Amha Aretz, the common people. His first audience is largely uh, the common folk, not the religious leaders, not the scribes, not the people who have power uh, to change a whole lot from a political standpoint. His first and primary audience is the common person. And, 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 and the common person who hears Jesus when he teaches is, is hearing him in a particular way. So that when he says, when you pray, ask God for daily bread, their minds are probably going in one of two places. The common person who Jesus is primarily talking to, when he says, if you pray, when you pray, how you ought to pray is asking God for daily bread. They are immediately going to their next meal. They don't know where it's coming from. Many of Jesus' listeners will hear him 
saying, ask God for your daily bread, and they go to their guts. Because daily bread is not allegorical, it is not spiritual, it is physical. It's a meal, it is bread. The second place that his first audience and his primary audience will go when he says, when you pray, ask God for daily bread, is they go, because Jesus is Jewish and his primary audience is Jewish, they go to that long custom, that long, well-traveled history of Israel, and they think about the time when God actually provided for God's people daily bread. In an unrestrained, miraculous way, his first listeners will remember God uh, in the language of the Old Testament showering down the people of God with manna when they were in the wilderness. The subsistence farmer who is listening to Jesus, the, 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 the person, the family who is perpetually under the poverty line. We'll hear Jesus talking about daily bread and immediately ask if what he's saying can be trusted. They'll immediately, maybe immediately, also go to this corporate history that they've inherited that says, yes, God can. My clinical supervisor a couple months ago asked me a question that, frankly, the way she put it had never been asked to me. And she, she knows a little bit about my background. And, uh, she, she asked me, she said, what have you learned from poverty? She knows that I grew up uh, poor. And I am not poor now. Um, there is absolutely no way I can claim that my mama was poor. And that searching question of what have you learned from growing up that way came back to me this week, yesterday, as I thought about how far most of us from Jesus' first primary audience. A lot of us know this immediately, this notion of daily bread. A lot of us do. A lot of us know right now that we don't know where our daily bread is coming from. But a lot of us don't. Or we have what you call leftovers. We have what you call uh, brunch appointments. We, we have what you call dinner dates. And we know a month in advance where we're going to eat because we reserved the table, checked out the menu, and confirmed our guests. And I say that in order to ask this question well, if this is our prayer, how do we pray this? We is 
everybody in my background, growing up like I grew up and worse, and everybody in my right now, all of us together, the folks who we're serving in our holiday meal in a week, who are looking forward to that but not knowing how they're going to get a meal between now and then. Some of them are here. Some of you are here, right? That's we. You're we. You're us. And you who are looking and saying, when I say, can we sit down and have lunch together? You're saying, well, I I can go out about two months, Pastor, because I'm really booked right now. This is our prayer. I won't answer all those questions because they're tough questions. And they're the questions that frame our ministries. They're the questions ultimately that frame our lives. They're the questions ultimately that frame how we respond to the gospel every day, every week. They are the questions that we live. We don't just sort of have pat. But so I, I won't, I won't, I, what, what I will do, though, is I will say this is our prayer. And when we pray it, we can't spiritualize this prayer because what Jesus does is he, is he does what I call uh, preaching from the underside. He preaches from the bottom side. He preaches upward. And when you preach from the bottom side, from the underside, from a place, Jesus was broke. He was from the peasant class. He was, he was a very, very, very underpaid carpenter, if you will, and everybody else around him was. He preached through that experience. And when you preach through that experience, when you live through that experience, you reach everybody. You don't talk about daily bread and talk about reservations to restaurants. No, because you miss a lot of people because it stops, right? It stops. But when you preach from the underside where Jesus seems to be, he's going up and he's saying, we got to get everybody because everybody's in my kingdom. Everybody's daily bread is a little different. Everybody's immediate guttural needs are different, but don't spiritualize this to act like just because you need God to give you a new job, which is which is those expanding ways that Jesus prays, right? He doesn't leave the the person who's wondering, how am I going to make my mortgage? This is God's way of reminding us that no one should be hungry. This is God's response to world hunger. This is how we pray. Secondly, when you pray, ask for forgiveness and for the ability to forgive. This language of forgiving our debts as we forgive our debtors is there. And, 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 and what this means, essentially, is that we are asking for God to give us the ability to do what God has given, to do what God has done with us. We are, when we pray for this ability, praying for the empowerment to do in our relationships what God has done for us. God has a posture toward us 
And it is unrelenting love that always looks like forgiveness. You can't get more merciful than unrelenting love that always looks like forgiveness. It's emotionally implausible for us to wrap ourselves around that. Right? So get it. You can't do it. You can't get it. You can't do it. You can't get it. So we pray this. Prayer is that, that, that language we give to our inability. I can't do this. I can't do this. The only reason I'm talking to God is because I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't be this. I can't say this is my prayer. I can't own this. And God, who is this ability, who is what he does, grants us the ability to do in our relationships what God has done with us. And that is not judgment. That is not punishment. What God does is grant us mercy and grace and forgiveness. Now we don't always take that. We don't always accept what God gives, right? And then we get to all of these other things. But when we start with where God is in God's kingdom, God's kingdom starts right here. When you pray, ask for God to forgive your debts. That language of forgiveness uh, has to do with setting aside. It has to do with setting aside. There's a a picture that I get of uh, me uh, and God, us as God's people, in God's presence, but there being something in front of us, there being something called sin or debt in between us and God. There is something that is between us and God, and what God does Because this language in Scripture, this definition of setting aside, is almost always associated with God, except in places like Matthew 6, when God opens it up to us too. This language of forgiveness is always associated with God until places like this, where we get grafted into forgiveness too. There is this notion of God setting aside what is between us and God, so that there is no sin between us and God. It is not ignoring what we did that is forgiveness no it is not acting like we did not wrong one another that is forgiveness no that is not forgiveness that is delusion that is ignoring the truth that is lying to ourselves remember when we pray we learn more about God we learn more about ourselves we don't close ourselves off to the truth we open ourselves up to the truth the the crazy thing about Christianity is that forgiveness is saying this is what you did this is who you are in our relationship and I will set it aside You have to pick it up. You have to deal with it. You have to look at how big that mess is to set it aside. But that's what we're invited to do here, to forgive and to be forgiven. Uh, If one of you came up to me after service today and you hit me in the face because you didn't like what I had to say, This is what's going to (laughs) happen. At first, um, at first, 
I'm, I'm going to, because um, I grew up on the south side now. That, uh, I didn't grow up on the west side now. I said the south side. I grew up on the south side. And on the south side, I was also the last of my mother's children. So um, there are a couple of things going on that are going to happen right away. And you're going to see me flinch. You're going to see me. F- and in the flinch, you may see me lean back. Right? And, um, and then you will see me lean forward. Now, I'm not sure what will come with me as I lean forward. But, but what God will do is remind me of what it means to forgive and to take what you give me to consider my alternatives and then to let it go. I may say... Did you just hit me? I may say what the, I may say a whole long list of things. To not ignore your assault. But if I'm in a forgiving mood, if I'm praying, my acknowledgement of what you did is my way of getting to forgiveness. Because you're not going to walk out of here and not realize what you did and what I could have done, even if I choose another way. Doing this prayer, praying it, is coming again and again to God and saying, These are the evils, these are the sins, these are the debts. These are the wrongs. These are the wounds, the pains. Help me set them aside. Give me wisdom and clarity and discernment and insight on what setting them aside looks like when I finish praying. So that I don't live in the world while I'm in relationship with you like these debts, these sins, these wounds, these pains don't matter because they matter. Jesus then says, when you pray, ask God to lead you not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is, this, is, this is asking for God's leadership and deliverance. Um, there's some fighting in uh, commentators and scholars. When you, when you look into these words, you know, people have various definitions. And uh, when you think about evil here, I'll, I'll borrow from our Jewish relatives because the Jewish reading of evil is all-encompassing. Um, it's not just an evil person like Satan, the evil one. Some of your translations will say, deliver us from the evil one and localize evil into a more personal way. And that's not... Uh, inconsistent, frankly, with interpretation. It's just the work of interpretation. There are also biblical interpreters who are a bit more broad so that they don't personalize the evil and blame evil on Satan alone, but are more encompassing to say it's not just a person that we're asking God to to deliver us from. It is all of evil. 
So, so that's my heart this morning to give to you that when we pray this, we're asking for God to deliver us from all evil and to deliver all evil from us. We're asking God to remove us from evil and to remove evil from us. So there's an internal or interior element where I'm saying in this prayer, we're saying in this prayer as Christians, there is evil in us. God, remove it. And then there is this external element where we're asking God to deliver us out of all evil. Um, The other way of looking at this passage is what I have up here on this slide. Uh, We can pray for God to deliver us from something. What I want to encourage you to do is just try to spin that a little bit and to ask God um, to lead you towards something. That we certainly say, God, don't let me go in that direction. But we also pray, God, take me here. And the question for you this morning, for us as a church, and for you as you walk away from service this morning, is where do you want God to lead you? Because definitions about evil and temptation, you know, they're important. But what matters is how we talk about where we want to be as a church, as a body of Christ, you and your family. So when you think about this prayer and when you pray it, one of the ways you can pray it is by saying in your own words, God, lead me into goodness. Lead me into godliness. Lead me into beauty. Lead me into creativity. Lead me. So, so certainly we can say it in the negative. Don't let me do that. Or we can say it in the positive. Let me go in this direction. My wife says that I have made strides. And so when my wife says that I have grown in an area, it is because I have grown in an area. And... Um, some of you know this about me. I may have said it before in sermonic pieces. Certainly I've admitted this and confessed this sin, that a part of my, a part of my dark side, a part of my old man, my old Michael, dead man that he is, is my um, misuse of words. I know that sarcasm can be redemptive, that it can be humorous, that it can be funny, that it can, you know, be a gift. Just like humor. And when I am walking closely to God and 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 looking at me too, I'm aware of my words, but when I'm not, that old man sort of seems to rise from the dead. So words become tools for temptation and evil in the language of Matthew 6. Um, so when I pray this, and that's, that's 
the growth area that I'll tell you about, you know, if you want to know other things, you have to ask my wife, and she won't tell you because she won't tell you. Uh, um, but but with, with that particular, this particular example from my life, every day I get up and I can pray, God, I remember what I said. I don't want to say that again. So help me find better words. Now, this is like a 10-year spiritual discipline. So at this point, at this point, I know exactly what I'm saying when I say it, and I'm choosing to go toward temptation and evil in this conversation (laughs) or to go in a graceful direction. Um, And it gets a little muddy because when you talk and you tell people things, sometimes because of the feelings that come up with what you have to say, the words can be, you know, well, that was, that was your darkest side. No, that was the brightest thing in your life right now, right? But for me inside, I'm raising this question of, God, am I being led to sin and evil and temptation? Or am I following you to goodness? I want you to think about for you this morning, for us as a church, what it means to ask God to lead us into goodness, to deliver us and to take us away from evil. There aren't many places where we can speak the name of Jesus in a holy way. And so if you just want to call his name, just say his name. of our lives. We will be yours. We are yours. Be our God. Be our strength. Be our keeper. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said amen. Amen. Have a great week, everybody.